0: And I've heard people say before that they're culturally Catholic, but they're not religiously Catholic. And I think I would identify with that. So it's a complicated relationship that I have with the church. Welcome to Dream Radically Podcast, brought to you by Foundation for Liberating Minds. Dreaming radically is a necessity if we are to reach a world of liberation for all marginalized peoples. Imagining the world we want to see and then fighting like hell to go and get it.
1: Dream Radically is a hope, a strategy, a goal of altering the status quo in our
0: quest for social transformation. Join us on this journey. Let's dream.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Youssef Kamel, and I am the Foundation for Liberating Minds Global Vision Director. I will be your host today for this episode of Dream Radically. With me today is Lupita Gonzalez to have a conversation about growing up with religion and queerness. Lupita walks us through their upbringing and how they came to discover their queer identity and leaves us at the end with a few words for everyone struggling a bit with who they are. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dream Radically podcast. Today with me, I have Lupita Gonzalez, and together we're going to be talking a little bit about religiosity and queerness. Uh, Lupita, thank you so much for being here. Would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Hi, thank you for having me, Yusuf. My name is Lupita, as Yusuf said. My legal name, my full name is actually Guadalupe, which is, I wanna mention that because it's a testament to um, my religious background, my Catholic background. (laughs) I go by Lupita, most people know me by Lupita. I'm a graduate student at Northwestern where I'm also a graduate assistant in the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs. I'm 23 years old. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. And yeah, I identify as queer.
1: Thank you so much, Lupita. So just to begin, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your childhood and growing up.
0: So I grew up in a Catholic household. My family's Mexican on both sides and Mexico, like a lot of Latin America is predominantly Catholic. So I grew up in Oklahoma, I was born and raised here and both my parents immigrated from Mexico. My dad wasn't very religious. We we all went to church as a family and everything, but I, my mom was really like, she's just very religious, very deeply re- religious, and um, to this day, very Catholic and attends mass. And so I grew up attending a parish in Norman, Oklahoma. It's called St. Joseph's Catholic Church. Um, and I went there since I was a kid. I We moved to Norman um, when I was in the first grade. So I did like religious education courses, different sacraments I had there, so like First Communion. I wasn't baptized at that church, I was baptized somewhere else, but I kind of went through all that. So I was baptized and confirmed and had a First Communion. And yeah, so I grew up in the Catholic Church and um, my whole family, like my extended family was Catholic. I didn't really have any other Christian influences or any other religious influences in my life other than Catholicism.
1: And for those of us who aren't Catholic, can you explain to us a little bit what religious education entails?
0: Yeah, so, and you know, it's been a long time since I've attended mass, like on a weekly basis. And um, even when I was in religious education courses, I don't feel like I knew the doctrine very well, because I feel, you know, as a child, like I I feel like it was all just indoctrination. And I wasn't really conscious of what it was that I was like, repeating or or being told to believe. But yeah, for if you're not Catholic, it's a Christian denomination. uh, It's a very old, old institution. They believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus as God's only Son, came to earth, died for our sins, was res- resurrected like a lot of other Christian denominations. It's a very conservative, traditional church. So when you attend mass, it's all very traditional and in, in like the kind of garments that the priests wear and the clergy wear and the traditions that have been carried on for years and years and years and years. The Catholic Church is one of those churches that I think isn't very open to adapting to change and societal change. It seems kind of like a dinosaur to me.
1: So you mentioned that your mother is pretty religious and you seem to link a little bit between your Mexican heritage and Catholicism. Would you say that's true or how would you describe that or how would you feel about that?
0: I would agree with that. I would say that is true. It's really complicated for me to try to distance myself as much as I can from Catholicism because it is so connected to my cultural identity. So you know, when I've been in Mexico visiting family, you know, my family, we go to churches, we go to cathedrals and we everywhere you look, there's this Catholic imagery. And I mentioned before my name, Guadalupe. My mom named me after La Virgen de Guadalupe, which is the kind of Mexican rendition of the Virgin Mary. And her image is, you know, everywhere. It's such a symbolic kind of image in Mexican culture. And that's something that, um You know, whether I like it or not, Catholicism is something that's so intricately entwined with my cultural identity that I can't write it off. And I've heard people say before that they're culturally Catholic, but they're not religiously Catholic. And I think I would identify with that. You know, I have a lot of issues with the doctrine of the Catholic Church and their beliefs and a lot of things that I don't agree with. But culturally, I feel... It's such a big part of how I grew up and so many of the traditions surrounding Catholicism are things that are so familiar to me um, and kind of remind me of home and of that place. And so it's a complicated relationship that I have with the church and with religion and organized religion because Catholicism really kind of soured my relationship with organized religion. So I haven't really ever tried to venture out and find anything else. But say, um, as much as I've tried to like put a wall between Catholicism and me, you know, my family still practices it. My grandparents do. They still pray over me when I'm there, when I leave. And so it's something that I've kind of had to learn how to have a healthy relationship with, even if I'm not practicing myself. And if I don't believe those beliefs myself.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's something that sounds quite familiar to me. I feel like that Throughout evolutions or changes in my personal belief system, I feel that for me, I, I grew up Coptic Christian, which is a small denomination, um, relatively small, worldwide, big in uh, my home country, which is Egypt. And kind of doesn't matter what my belief ends up being or, or what, it, however it has changed. It's always been that there are certain things that make me feel like that's home and it might be just certain phrases or traditions or just something that we end up doing. And it's usually related to something that has to do with that, or, or it kind of is grounding in certain ways. So I definitely agree with you. If I may ask, how did you discover your queer identity? I love this question.
0: So it's strange, but I think Discover is a good word um, because I think, like myself, a lot of the times people, it's a matter of just not knowing, you know, there's something that happens that kind of illuminates something about your identity. But I think, at least for me, I think I was queer long before I knew I was and long before I started identifying as such. But I had so many years and so many things to unpack So many layers of like internalized homophobia and just heteronormativity that I had to work through to get to a point where I was comfortable and able to kind of be my whole self and be and show up as myself in the world. And that wasn't until very recently. So, you know, I thought I was straight for a really long time. And I fell in love with a woman. And that was a whole kind of journey of having to really confront head on that internalized homophobia, because that's something that gets in the way of love. And at that point it was like, yeah, you you just kind of have to, I had to work through that as painful as it was. And there's a lot of fear involved. There's a lot of fear involved when you grow up being told as I was that homosexuality is a sin and that, and even, you know, outside of the church, A lot of that did stem from Catholicism and and what I was taught growing up. But even societally, I feel like heteronormativity and gender roles and everything that I was taught societally played a big part in me not feeling like I was comfortable or being afraid to kind of express myself and and be who I was. So I think when I was about 18, when I went off to college, I moved away from Norman to Edmond, Oklahoma, because I went to the University of Central Oklahoma for two years. And um, that was about the time that I started kind of rebelling against the Catholic church and against my mom wanting me to to drag me to mass. And um, it was around that time that I started to be very adamant and be very vocal about the fact that I don't agree with the church's stance on same-sex marriage, that I don't agree with their stance on abortion. And it was kind of this awakening. Yeah, that was even before I went to college. So that happened really early on, and I kind of started to drift away. And then when I got to college, I joined the Student Alliance for Equality, which we called SAFE at UCO, um, which is the LGBTQIA kind of student collective or organization. And at the time, I thought I was just being an ally, that it was just something that I cared deeply about and that I wanted to support. And that is true. But I don't think I registered at the time that I was just gravitating towards these issues because I identified that was something that was not even on my radar as an 18 year old or on my mind. It just kind of happened naturally, like I gravitated towards LGBTQIA issues and platforms and I wanted to do everything I could to make sure that people feel seen. And as I got older... My first two years of college, I also started to kind of uh, play around more with gender expression and just be a little more free with how I expressed myself that way. And for me, I think both coming to terms with my identity in terms of gender and sexuality was they weren't mutually exclusive like it happened together and um, that kind of exploration happened all throughout college but even after that you know even after I so I transferred to the University of Oklahoma and I still didn't identify as queer I didn't I still thought I was straight and I think that had a lot to do with like I said before it's heteronormativity and so deeply ingrained in us. And I didn't know how to shed that and how to move through the world in a way that didn't reflect that, even though I kind of made made those steps earlier as a young person. But I think it was love, honestly, (laughs) and being um, romantically involved with somebody that really opened my eyes to my identity because it was no longer something that I could turn away from. And it's been really, really rewarding And I'm so glad it happened the way that it did. But yeah, it was really difficult and it took a long time. It wasn't a fast or easy journey for me. And there were so many layers of just internalized homophobia and and heteronormativity to work through for me.
1: Thank you so much, Lupita. If I may ask um, as well, how did it feel to be in queer spaces for you before you realized or went on this self-discovery route? How did it feel? And how did it feel afterwards?
0: I'd say before it felt like I was just an ally. And I think that's how I saw myself. And so I didn't feel really like a part of it. But even now, I guess then and now, um, it always felt like I wasn't queer enough or like I didn't um, look a certain way or I didn't have a partner that was queer. So I, I, I just didn't feel like I was enough. And even now, I still kind of feel like that when I enter queer spaces, um, because we're so used to making assumptions about people's sexuality and gender by looking at them and by just kind of um, their physical appearance and how they present themselves to the world. Um, we have these preconceived ideas of how somebody should dress if they identify with this gender, how how somebody should dress if they are of this sexuality and that is something that I still grapple with. So when I'm in queer spaces now, I think that's always kind of running through my mind is like, are they going to doubt that I am who I am? Or are they going to think that I'm like not queer enough that I don't look like I should look or that I don't act like I should act. And I think that's honestly a bunch of bullshit. And I think nobody should tell anybody um, what it means to look queer because I think you can be any kind of way and dress any kind of way and you can be super, super feminine and, and still be non-binary or you can, you know, be super femme and still be super gay. Like it's something that I'm still having to kind of repeat to myself every day um, that I don't have to meet anybody's expectations of what I should look like or what my gender or sexuality should be that I can just be who I am. And, and I think that's the most rewarding part of being part of this community is that they're so welcoming and encouraging of people being their full and honest selves. And that means allowing people space to show up as themselves, however that may be. So I guess I, I still feel that some days, but for the most part, it's all internal and it's not like an outside force or anybody telling me that I aren't enough. It's just kind of in my head. And when I start to kind of shake that off is when I feel the best about who I am.
1: So how has each of your identities affected the other? Um, How have your feelings about the Catholic church or your own religiosity or any form of your identity been affected by your queer identity or the other way around?
0: I actually, I don't consider myself religious anymore or a, a Christian, I'm not a practicing Christian. And I think the most accurate description or descriptor I would use is agnostic. I want to believe in a higher power. I just don't. I think I mentioned before that the Catholic church really soured my relationship with organized religion. And it's almost this trauma that I'm still having to work through of, I'm afraid that if I, you know, find another kind of institution like that, that they'll just tell me that everything that I'm doing is sinful um, and that I'll end up in a bad place. So a lot of my Catholic upbringing was rooted in fear. And that's something that I really resent, I think for any religion that does the same thing that kind of gathers followers by fear as a means um, of making people believe and so much of the catholic teachings that i grew up with was you know you have to be good because you're afraid and you should be fearful of your god and so that's something that i really don't like i don't want to live in fear like that i think i grew up with so much shame because of that fear and because of everything that I was taught that I could and couldn't do that even when I got to the age where I wanted to be like a sexual being and like that was something that was natural and healthy and normal like I couldn't even be that in a heteronormative way because I had so much shame to unlearn you know like the Catholic Church is so conservative in that way and they teach you that premarital sex is a sin and even sex is for the purpose of bearing children and bringing children into the world. And it's not something that is for your own pleasure as a human being. And so that was something that I had a lot of trouble with. As a young person, when I was just entering college, like I didn't have a sexual partner until I was like well into my 20s because I, there was just so much shame, I think, surrounding that, that I just didn't feel comfortable or for whatever reason, I wasn't comfortable in myself or confident in myself as a sexual being. And So that was one layer of it. And then to come to find out, oh, actually I'm queer and I want to explore my sexuality in a non-heteronormative way. Like that was even a whole nother layer of shame that I think stemmed from my religious upbringing because, you know, as we all know, like the Catholic Church is opposed to like same-sex marriages and even just like same-sex relationships. So that was something that was, I think, even deeper that I had to work through that, not only could I like explore my sexuality and I had a right to, but I could explore it in a way that aligned with my identity. So it was a lot of working through things. And I think I'm still doing it. I'm still working through it, but I've gotten to the point where I can recognize it. And I think I can recognize where it stems from. And I've kind of initiated that healing process and decided that I'm going to shed all that shame because there's no reason to hold on to it.
1: So, how has your relationship with your family changed or been affected, or hasn't been changed or affected at all?
0: I feel that it strengthened my relationship and deepened it with um, at least my immediate family when I came out to them. And um, my mom, being the most religious one of the five of us, I have two sisters, a younger sister and an older sister, um, and then my mom and dad. And my mom, I unintentionally came out to her. It happened this past summer. And it was a reaction that I had, um, an instinctual reaction to her saying something that was really horribly homophobic and transphobic in in my presence. And I just kind of like had to react by telling her that it was my way of like telling her that it was unacceptable for her to talk like that around me. And so it was unintentional. Um, I don't think I would have done it if that hadn't happened, because I knew her feelings towards just queerness and I was really afraid of her reactions yeah she we had a very kind of explosive really upsetting conversation that night and she ended up apologizing to me later and while she still holds her beliefs I don't know exactly if that's exactly what the Catholic Church believes, or if she's a little more lenient with what she believes, but she still doesn't wholeheartedly agree with people loving who they want to love. And so it was difficult, but I think I had to take a step back and realize how privileged I was even to have a parent who was still going to love me and was still going to see me as their child and, and still take me in and, and take me under their roof after knowing who I am. And I know that's not the case for a lot of people. So I met her halfway. And as for my sisters, they were both um, incredibly supportive, which was something that meant the world to me. My little sister's also queer and she had come out to my mom a couple years before I did. And I think my mom kind of downplayed it and, and didn't want to accept it or thought maybe she was going through a phase or something. But anyway, invalidated her in some way or another. So I think her and I could bond over that. And then my older sister, um, who's a new mother, she is just the best and was so supportive. And they were both so loving and had nothing but love to give. And that meant the world to me. So it was as good as I could have hoped for, even with my mom. You know, I I think it could have been a much worse (laughs) kind of reaction than it was. And her and I, it seems like our relationship has just kind of fallen back into the same. It's as if nothing ever happened and she knows what she knows and i have even we've had conversations where i talked to her about my my last partner and you know she doesn't say anything horrible like she used to and we're making progress and as for my extended family that's in mexico and you know my grandparents that are very old and very conservative and very traditional that's information that i am sparing them And also, I guess, kind of sparing myself. I think sometimes we choose who and when to come out to people um, when we feel safe, when we can kind of wage like what the reaction will be and, and whether it's worth them knowing. And right now, there are a lot of people in my life that I've decided it's information that they don't need, or maybe like I'm kind of Uh, anticipating their reactions. And I I don't need it at this point in my life. So hopefully my grandparents never hear this podcast. I don't think they will, but. (laughs) So it's really kind of a gift, I think. A really beautiful thing to be able to share such an intimate moment with people and to let people in that way. And I've done it since I came out to my mom and my sisters last summer. Like I've done it in little, subtle, small ways with people in my life and with friends. And each time it's like being met with their acceptance means so much.
1: I think that's really affirming to hear in many ways, that even at times, if it's slow, that there is some progress being made. And yeah, with information this big, it's always the person's right to figure out what they want to do first, and then go on with what they want to do. Lupita, I have one last question for you. We know a lot of people try to come to terms with their own identities daily, queer identities specifically. And they're often in environments where they might not feel very safe or supported of displaying that side of themselves. Do you have any words for them?
0: The first thing I would say is that I love you (laughs) and that you're awesome and that there's nothing wrong with you. And then I would tell you that there are so many ways in which heteronormativity and gender roles and patriarchy are so deeply entrenched in all of us and to not be so hard on yourself as you like slowly recognize those ways and kind of start to let them go and I think for some of us maybe for most of us that's a lifelong process of having to unlearn things and I don't think anybody I don't know Maybe this is a bold statement, so don't quote me on this, but (laughs) I don't think anybody who's queer has come into their identity in an easy way, you know, just because of the nature of the world that we live in. It's scary. It takes a lot of courage and there's a lot of fear involved and there's a lot of, maybe there's ostracization or maybe you lose people that you love. But I would tell you that it's so rewarding and there's nothing better than being able to be who you are and to be proud of who you are and to show up in the world that way. And when I'm afraid and which I really was last summer especially when I was grappling with all this like I would think and especially during Pride month I would think of everybody that came before me that that did such brave things so that I could be who I am today without there's still risks that you that you take um by showing up in the world but for the most part you know like I could marry my partner and I could adopt a child and start a family and there are so many things that I could do now being who I am that I maybe I wouldn't have been able to do years ago and I think of trailblazers like Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson and people who literally like laid down their lives and fought so that we could be who we are and that's something I think that fills me with a lot of hope and gives me a lot of courage when I'm afraid. I would recommend maybe reading a little bit about more about those women, Black trans women who paved the way so that you and I could be here.
1: Lupita, thank you so much for coming here today. Is there anything that you're working on right now that you'd like our listeners to know about?
0: No, but I'm reading a book that I had told Yusuf about before that I would recommend to everybody called Little Blue Encyclopedia for Vivian by Hazel Jane Plant. So we have a queer book club at work. These are all for students and we meet virtually um, once a quarter to talk about the books. And this this was the pick this quarter for the queer book club. And it's about a queer trans woman's love for her straight trans woman best friend who passed away. So she's writing this to her after she's passed away. And it's the most heartfelt, beautiful thing I've read in a long time.
1: Thank you so much, Lupita, for being here. As always, you can find more about us on FoundationForLiberatingMinds.com. Thank you all for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to Dream Radically Podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Liberating Minds. Learn more about the work of Foundation for Liberating Minds at our website, FoundationForLiberatingMinds.org, our social media pages at Foundation4LM, And consider getting connected with the podcast and all our members by supporting this work through our Patreon, patreon.com slash foundation4lm. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod wherever you're listening. Power, and may tomorrow bring us closer to our radical dreams.